Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 48 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest originally made his name with a wild style of play, which brought him quick success and one of the greatest nicknames in poker history. In the years since, he's earned over $11 million in live and online tournament earnings, all the while living a nomadic lifestyle. He's grown from those early days in poker to become a family man, an entrepreneur, and a poker legend who still crushes the game on a regular basis. It's my pleasure to welcome the toilet for Raz Jaka to the Cards Chat Podcast. What's up? What's up, Robbie? Uh, finally got to connect. So yeah. happy to be here. And um, yeah, just it sounds like a really awesome group you guys got here over at Cards Chat. And um, yeah, looking forward to diving in. Cool. It's funny. You know, you just said finally connect. And I do have one recollection like way back I don't know, four or five years ago um, in the Rio parking lot. I think I met you there and we took like a selfie or something. We were very, very nice and friendly. I think I'll just send you that picture afterwards. It just okay. really jogged my memory. I said, yeah. you doing well today? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm curious what hairstyle I have in that in that um ah. picture. They may have been a hat, those may have been the hat days, you know, like out in the, in yeah. the baking sun in the summer. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so where where are you coming to us uh from today? I'm in Las Vegas right now. Um you know, this year is an interesting year because uh, I basically, you know, in the last 15 years really have never lived anywhere with the exception of like a year and a half, you know, break where I did live somewhere a little bit. Um, and this is a weird year where you just get all the benefits of being on tour to staying in Vegas. Um, and we also have a six month old, almost seven now. So it just made sense to just like, you know, we, we stayed, we're in Vegas for like a seven month period, which I've never been anywhere for more than like a month and a half in right. like a long time. Right. Um, but yeah, you just, every other week there's some big live event or right now there's the WSOP online. Um, so you get like two WSOPs this year almost. And, and yeah, so yeah. I'm here and, you know, making a little trip out to the hard rock in a couple of weeks, but for the most part, just this year for the rest of the year. Interesting. Well, I mean, that that is kind of the reason I ask you. So where are you coming to us from? Because, you know, in addition to that, that nickname, the toilet, which we will get into at some point <laughs> later in the show, you got the nicknames, the poker nomad, the homeless millionaire. I remember on CNN money, that great uh, clip that they put together, a great little uh, mini feature. Um, you know, with all of that grinding, with all of that nomadic lifestyle, when did you sort of decide this is what I want to do? I want to basically live out of a suitcase. Um, it wasn't more, it wasn't really a decision. It was more of a calling. (laughs) I mean, it just kind of, so, and, you know, I started playing poker in, um, in college, you know, sophomore year. Um, (laughs) Hey buddy. (laughs) Started making Axel. Yeah. Maybe we'll have him do a little guest appearance in a little bit. (laughs) I just want to say hi to him. Um, yeah. So I started playing poker, um, sophomore year, and you know the next year started making like weekend trips to vegas my senior year i I had qualified to like ept barcelona aruba so started doing a little bit of traveling and when i graduated it was just like okay i can go do this tournament did that tournament and i was just on the road all the time um i and yeah it just like it didn't make sense to have an apartment because i'm just like gone all the time right uh then after about a year and a half i got pretty worn out traveling 
and was like, okay, I need a home base. So I rented a place in Chicago, lived there for a year and a half, was still traveling like half the time, um, living kind of a normal-ish, more normal life. And uh, I got really sick of having a normal life and (laughs) I missed the road. So I said, you know what? Let's get rid of this apartment. I went back on the road. Uh, But this time I did a few things differently. Um, I just learned how to optimize for the road better. I kind of understood why I got tired, why I got drained. Mm. And, you know, I made some changes, right? So what were those changes? Um, First of all, luggage. I was traveling with a carry-on before and uh, a check-in, a big check-in. And, you know, it's just like, you think you need all these pants, you think you need all these shoes, you think you need all these things. So what I did actually was I started an Excel sheet and uh, wrote down everything I brought on the road with me and Mm. put a mark every time I used it. I realized I'm just using the same few things over and over again. There's so many things that are just like maybe or I use it once. Um, So I really cut down my luggage in two carry-ons. Um, you know, sometimes you got quick layovers and short trips and some luggage gets delayed and now you're in the next country already and that's a pain and gets exhausting. So like, you know what, no more check-ins, then I don't need to deal with that issue. Um, I save time going to the airport, save time coming from the airport. Um, and and things are just lighter, right? Like I got, um, you know, you get worn out, like your back starts having issues and stuff, but if you have less luggage, you don't, that's not as bad, right? Especially going in Europe and hopping in and out of trains. So reducing luggage big time, um, helped a lot. The other thing was, you know, not being able to eat healthy, not being able to work out on the road, right? Those things also get very draining. So I optimized for that. I would always book Airbnbs or hotels that are very close to um you know grocery store and i also have um you know i book places with the kitchen and i book places with the kitchen and that type of thing mm-hmm. um so um yeah and i'd come up with meals that like no matter where i am i could always make you know one of my meals is like tuna with um you yes. know honey mustard and a sure. couple vegetables and they don't need refrigeration um because another issue is decision fatigue Every time you're in a new place, you got to figure out, oh, uh, what am I going to eat? Oh, how am I going to work out? Where am I going to work out? And that's draining. That's exhausting. It takes a lot of mental kind of power, right? So to not have to think about those things and to have them automated, you get to save that brain power for the things you care about, exploring, playing poker or whatever. So same thing with my workout routine. You know, what are things that I can do no matter where I am? I don't have to figure it out each time. So I came up with a workout routine I could do on the floor. Um, I have an extension cord that I use um, for playing in hotel lobbies and stuff that doubles as a jumper rope um, that I could also do another thing with nice. to tie my legs together, do it. So I just, you know, I just came up with this system and just kind of solved the little things that were draining me. That's fantastic. Um, it's like a, it's yeah. like a removing like those pressure points. It seems in general like a more optimal way to live life. At some point when you just accumulate yeah. and accumulate, you just get weighed down by your stuff yeah. in a way. I, yeah, I'm very hyper aware. I try to really pay attention to kind of like why I'm happy, why I'm upset, why I'm frustrated mm-hmm. and um, try to just think of those as, as boulders. And how do you, you know, how do you remove that boulder? Do you climb over it? Do you, you know, break through it? Do you go around it and just finding solutions, you know? Right. Very cool. Well, all of that kind of stuff when it's just, you know, you're responsible for yourself. Easy. Great. You make a decision. Good. But yeah, in recent yeah. years, you've married, you've become a, a family man. And, uh, you know, Carolina has, has joined you in that lifestyle. What was those conversations like? I mean, was she into it or did you have to say, yeah. well, this is what I do? <laughs> like, what's the story? Yeah. 
Well, so my wife, um, she's a vagabonder herself. Um, okay. So that came very naturally. Um, before we met, she had already, you know, lived in, she's, she's Brazilian from Sao Paulo, but she'd mm. already lived in Buenos Aires for a couple of years, lived in Bali, lived in London, um, in Malaysia. And she, I was doing more like every other week going to a new country, new place. She was doing more like a few months to a couple of years. Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Doing like online marketing and that kind of, or just finding a local job or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, so she, she's probably more into traveling, living on the road than I, I'm kind of like 50, 50 at this point. Like I could go either way. Like she's like 70%, like let's stay on the road. Like, um, we the ongoing joke is like yeah are we gonna like we were like okay when we get married like we'll move somewhere um you know we we bought a place in boulder i was doing a startup there so we're living there um and then um you know after we shut that down it didn't make sense to stay there so now we're renting it out Uh and you know it was just like oh yeah when we get married we'll live there and now we're married and we're still on the road so we're like okay when we have a kid when we have a kid we'll go move there (laughs) um now we have axel and we're still on the road. So now we're just like, okay, let's, let's stop kidding ourselves. Like we're just taking each year, each year as its own. Okay. Yeah. That we're, works. We're, we're, we're addicted to the road. We love it. We're vagabonders. Okay. So based on that then, and you know, I totally get it. And it's a lifestyle that, you know, is pretty cool because it's certainly unconventional in a way, you know, this is not a, a typical last year and a half. And like you said, you've been sort of settled for the last six, seven months. In yeah, Las Vegas, yeah. But you know, Travel is, is not so simple or, you know, hasn't been rather. Thankfully, things are, are starting to open up. So what's that sort of been like for you guys where it's not 100% up to you, so to speak, as far as, you know, the, yeah. the, the freedom? So we, had, so we had so we had a night where we went on Google, like, what are the places we can go? Oh. Wrote them on a spreadsheet and, like, narrowed it down. Like, where are the places we could play online poker? And it was uh-huh. only, like, a few options. And... Um, one of them was Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so I did. Um, so we went to Cabo, stayed there for two months, uh, did like, I think like um, there's all these big series going on last year. Like Party Poker had a huge thing. Poker sure. Stars had the W Cube. GG had the, the WC bracelets. main event going sure, on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it did. It. So, yeah, it just turned into like less like. Uh, you know, monthly traveling and or less like weekly traveling and more like, or where we're we going to go for a couple months mm-hmm. and doing like two, three months here, two, three months there. And that's kind of how we spent our year. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And when uh, Axel came along, how did that uh, throw things into the mix? As yeah. Far so as we definitely see um, and all that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely like, we, we did a period where we stayed um, at my parents' place in San Jose, California. That's where mm-hmm. I'm from originally mm-hmm. um, that way. Cause you know, there's doctor checkups, like, you know, very sure. frequently at first, but then they shift to like every three months. So we basically, um, yeah, we we're like, maybe we'll stay there for three months, six months, maybe nine months. But we ended up doing like the, the absolute minimum and we're like, we're ready to hit the road. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like as soon as as soon as the doctor checks were done with like monthly and like the next one is going to be like three months away, we hit the road. And um, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. So liberating to just have that sort of mindset as well of like the world really is your oyster. There's so many places where you could make it, that sort of a thing. Yeah, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people will come back and say, well, oh, you're so lucky. Like I can't do that because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I am I am fortunate, but that said, uh, I really also worked hard to optimize, to create a scenario where I can do this, right? Sure. Um, a very, a good example is, you know, I just, I started doing a lot of coaching recently mm-hmm. and a part of the, um, 
part of the um, reason I was so incentivized to do that is because, yeah, I want to figure out how we could live on the road with my family. And also being on tour with the family is really hard because it's like being on the poker tour. It's like, I need to be in Florida. That's where the big tournament is. I need to go play this. I need to go to that. That's not as easy when you have family. Right. Yeah. So that was, the, that was a big motivation for me to kind of find something. And I was thinking about like different online business ideas and exploring, mm -hmm. you know, I tried doing um, YouTube videos, uh, which I really loved. They were um, really I good. Doing... I've watched quite a few. Thank of them. you. Yeah. yeah, I really, I really enjoyed making that type of content. Um, I tried doing um, Twitch streaming, mm -hmm. um, which I also enjoyed, but I'd say that was less for me once I kind of realized how big of a grind that is. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, it's an insane amount of hours. And if you stop, you lose your traffic to competitors. Yeah. Whereas like with the YouTube stuff, it's like you could work really hard for a few weeks, then take some time off. You can't do that with the Twitch stuff. So right. I was like, all right, like Twitch is cool, but that's a young man's game. Like I'm ready to go enjoy <laughs> my life a little bit. Um, you know, I paid my dues. I did my hardcore grind. You know, that's a little much for me. Um, you know, went on to one-on-one -on -one coaching and now, you know, I'm scaling and doing group coaching. Mm -hmm. So I really just like, I tried a bunch of different things. I saw, you know, what had traction, what I enjoyed, what I felt passion for. Um, I even was trying non-poker stuff. Um, so yeah, really, I dabbled in a bunch of stuff to figure out how can I maintain living on the road um, and being able to being able to live wherever you want, working remote. Also, kind of you, you can double your wealth by like going and living somewhere cheaper, right? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's about trying, it's about experimenting, it's about doing things you're not comfortable with, um, talking to other people that are doing, you know, I, I jumped on calls with, you know, Jamie, Jamie Stapes, who does Twitch, I, sure. you know, I met up with Brad Owens, who does YouTube, and, you know, I picked their brains, try to understand, um, you know, go talk to people that are doing these things, so sure. you don't waste, you know, six months doing it, you can kind of get the cliff notes from them, you know? Uh -huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's cool. We'll definitely talk a little bit more about uh, your group coaching and your entrepreneurship uh, yeah. soon. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there, especially, you know, with, you know, the whole world in a very unique situation, we all experience this. So that whole nomadic, you know, that they only love one life to live, let's go see, do things a little bit differently becomes uh, a little bit more appealing than normal. And thankfully, the internet is the is the kind of thing that makes that possible to to a degree i would even say that whole in a way it's sort of trial and error that kind of mirrors what we do at the poker table in a way you know try the strategies yeah. that work that make us not if not necessarily happy but the most money that are most optimal in certain situations so well, and part of that is part of that is being okay with feeling uncomfortable mm. um you know this is something that comes across with a lot of my students a lot of my students are recreational players um and, um, you know, like serious recreationals that want to study and get better and stuff like that. But, you know, I tell them to do something like, you know, turning a small player into a bluff and triple barreling. And, you know, they're kind of embarrassed of like looking like an like like an idiot at the table. Right. Like in front of all their all these other recreationals who don't sure. understand this advanced strategy. Right. And, you know, I got to kind of convince them a little bit that, you know, close to like 90% of the people around you are probably not profitable in poker. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't care what they think, right. right. You, right? You're going to be going against the grain. You're going to be doing things differently. And um, you just got to be comfortable with feeling uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone and, yep. and making mistakes. You know, when you try new things, 
you're going to do things suboptimally and you're going to burn some money, but that's, that's an investment in your learning. Right. And to go back to the analogy as well, you know, not just in poker, but that seems to be proving uh, true in life as well. At least from my personal experiences, you know, getting outside that comfort zone certainly gets you to some, some good places. That's yeah. And really just, just doing things uh, is, is the big thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. you want, you want to start doing a podcast, right? Like I used to have this problem where I was like, Oh, I want to start writing for a website, you know, do some articles and want to, and I want to do things like really good. Like I'm kind of a, I want to do, I want to really make sure they're good, high quality, but the problem with that is it takes you too long to get started. And that's something I definitely learned over the years that it's way more important to go start a shitty podcast, to go write a shitty article and just get it out there and then you could make it better. Um, But the process of just getting started and getting going is so important. You know, speed is really important in that momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the saying done is better than perfect. You know, I think there's something to that. Yeah. If you try to do things perfect, you move too slow. Yeah. And things don't get down and there's no more that things don't get done and there's no momentum. Yeah, For sure. So, so Mr. Nomad, you know, you've been to so many places, you know, is there any particular place where you have some great memories or, or highlights, not necessarily even poker related, but just places you like can't wait to visit again, or maybe even someplace if and when you do decide to settle down, that makes sense. You know, let, let's, let's call that place home. I'm, I'm pulling up, uh, I'm pulling up Google maps right now. <laughs> there's a, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I got, I oh, look at a map. Pit, you literally pick places? Guess. No, I just, I look at a map and I just like memories come like, oh yeah, you mm. know, that, you know, I forgot about that country. Cool. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> I would not, not forgot about the country, but forgot about my experience there. Um, right. Yeah. So um, places I used to frequent off often would be Paris, um, Zurich and Switzerland. Mm. Um, those are two of my favorite places. I just, I ended up meeting like really cool local friends there. Hmm. Um, just by kind of putting myself out there. They weren't necessarily poker friends. And you know, when you get looped into the right friend circle in different places, it really, you know, I, I get a lot of people ask me, like, where should I, where should I travel? What's the best place? I want to have this cool experiences that you right. have. And the answer is go where you have someone to show you around. Um, hmm. some of my best experiences were like a small town in Ukraine um a small town in czech republic and i just had a local to go and show me these really cool awesome experiences that i never would have experienced right um that you know there's no tourists there and you know i get to go meet the local dj in like the small town and go hang out with them and you know just do all these cool things and um those are the best most valuable experiences so go where you know someone cool Um, do some couch surfing I, I did kind of like glorified couch surfing. So, you know, couch surfing is you go on the website and you just go with, you know, go meet up with strangers. And I've hung out with couch surfers and I've gone to like couch surfer parties. So uh-huh. totally familiar with the vibe. And um, I would do a lot of, I would do hostels. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and I would do shared bedroom hostels so I could meet other people and that kind of thing. The glorified couch surfing was more like, um, I would just like, um, you know, friends of friends, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't need to do couch surfing because I like, for example, I was in a tournament in um, Italy and uh, I met a guy there who was um, from Switzerland and he was like, yeah, I had these other, you know, I, I have a bunch of friends there. Like, I, I think I know someone who will let you stay, you know, in their guest bedroom even. Um, cool. And, you know, it was, it was easier for me to kind of get those invites because they could, you know, say a little bit about who I am and that kind of right. thing. I would take advantage of those and I'd go and usually there's a really cool people to that are willing to go host a stranger like that. Um, so I, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of like staying in guest bedrooms. Sometimes it'd be a couch. Sometimes it'd just be a bare floor and a blanket. Um, 
you know, sometimes it'd be a hostel. Um, yeah. Or, or sometimes I'd just go get, get a room or an Airbnb nearby. Um, but I, it was just like me, like, for example, the Czech Republic was, um, I was in Prague for a tournament. Um, my friend from college was like, Oh, I, I know a guy who was studying abroad at our school. He's just going back to his hometown, Czech Republic, this town called Strava. It's like 500,000 people. It's a few hours away. He's cool. You're cool. You guys should meet up. I was like, okay. So after the tournament, I jumped on the train, you know, so three cool. hours, I have no idea who I'm meeting. He has I a picture of me. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, I meet him at the train stop and um, he took me to his house. His parents didn't speak any English. Oh my God. They're being like super hospitable. Uh-huh. And like, um, you know, we had dinner and then I was like, the right when I got there, it was like, it was like midnight and they gave me a beer and they're like, you know, they tell the kids that the, you know, beer helps with the digestion. So we start them early here. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I was in this town called Strava, which is really cool. Um, the, his brother was like the, the newspaper delivery guy for the city. So the next morning I jumped wow. in his truck and we we're like throwing out these newspapers. That's small amazing. Town. That's a um, cool way to see the city for sure. Yeah. Wow. And, um, they had this street called Taroni street where there's a hundred different places you could drink, dance or eat very like small, thin European style, you know, narrow yeah. street. Mm-hmm. And this is back like 10, 12 years ago. And there's, um, webcams on the street. Uh, so you could see if it's popping or not, like before you go out. So, you know, we go online to go on and be like, oh, it's kind of dead right now. Look, like two hours later, you're like, okay, yeah, like, let's let's go. Amazing. I was like, that's so smart. Like, yeah, that's exactly. awesome. So, and, and it was just like this hidden gem. And they're hmm. like, yeah, like, like tourists from the rest of Czech Republic come here in some like neighboring countries. But, right. you know, we don't really get anyone else who comes here. Right. right. Um so like that was a cool experience to go sure. hang out on that street and spend a few nights. And like he was friends with one of the DJs at one of the places. So we got to go hang out with them. And yeah. Amazing. Amazing. How about from a, a poker perspective, any favorite places uh, that you've uh, been on the circuit? Yeah, actually, I just my brain just went somewhere else. So before I go on to the next question, sure. I just want to say with those previous experiences, I was mm-hmm. just talking about, um, you know, a similar trip in Ukraine, this one Czech Republic. Um, sometimes you go. And yeah, the experience is not all that amazing, right? And you are gambling a little bit there. Mm. But the thing that I found was um, I would talk to a lot of poker players that are like really GTO and like really calculated. And they're just like really measuring like, is it worth it to go on that trip or not? And just really calculating. Whereas what I would do is I would just go. And sometimes it wouldn't work out. Sometimes it wouldn't work out. But every once in a while, you get this amazing experience, right? Mm. And that's part of the gamble that you just go for it and you're okay with it not being that amazing, but that's where you really find these special moments. So I just, I just want to kind of add that to the viewers or anyone who kind of wants to go out there and travel to not, not worry about it working out so much and just putting yourself out there and exploring. Cause that, that's really what you're doing. Right. For sure. Um, and, and to a degree that does fit the poker analogy. Sometimes you'll try to play. It won't work out fine, but other yeah. times you'll, you know, go ahead and become the and big And if you find an exploit that works really well, you can do that over and over and over again. Right. Um, I love the metaphors. Good thing. stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> poker. So poker. So yeah, I mean, one of the best trips is um, Aussie millions, Melbourne, mm-hmm. Australia. A lot of people who've been there will tell you that's one of their favorite trips. Sure. Um, what's cool is just like the casino is right in the heart of the city. Mm. In the U.S., they they like to put a lot of the casinos, you know, in the middle of nowhere, away from the city. They're like, we don't want crime and prostitution to come into the right. Whereas in Australia, they're like, oh, we're just going to kind of regulate and control those things really well. And we're not worried about it. Yeah. And I think it works. They do a damn good job of it. Um, 
So you get this awesome mega complex, like a bunch of locals go there who don't even gamble. They just go to the clubs or the bars at the casino, which is cool. So that's cool atmosphere. Um, Barcelona, EPT Barcelona, sure. where you got the casino is literally steps from the beach yeah. on my dinner break or sometimes even on a 15 minute break. I run out, jump in the ocean, <laughs> come back dry up, use a little shower thing, come back and play. Amazing. Man, I, I, I was in the zone in those those games, man. Wow. I still do that when I go down there. I, I love being able to do that, man. Wow. Just um, So that's a cool one. Um, Monaco is a really fun tournament. Um, Monaco is an interesting city. I like it's so beautiful and I love being there for a couple of days, but not for like an extended period. Um, right, because they little- charge by the minute, right? Yeah. The prices are ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, that there are, yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah. Um, they, yeah, it, it's not as welcoming as the atmosphere to kind of outsiders sometimes, mm. um, the local scene. Um, it's kind of, I, I like to say it's, it's where a lot of the, it's like where a lot of the Bond villains hang out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a beautiful city. And obviously there are cool locals there. You know, there's, I'm never going to, there's always, you know, there's always good people and bad people everywhere. Sure. Um, but um oh, interesting the, things i like them it, it, it's a it's a beautiful place it's fun to spend a couple of days um well, yeah i mean these are just places i get really yeah, prague you know prague is really cool it's always mm-hmm. in december there's christmas markets going out during yeah the absolutely so, um yeah th- those are the places that really come to mind awesome on my poker trips yeah great picks definitely uh stokes up a little wanderlust uh, not just for me but i'm sure all of uh people watching and listening um, you've got your website, farazjaka.com, and I know it's currently down for maintenance, but I remember there was like this extensive section there with like big city guides and, and tips mm-hmm. that you had. So like, so firstly, you know, that's a two-parter here. So firstly, do you have, or can you, you know, share with us some of like those really awesome, like travel hacks that you, you know, maybe you can share and, you know, help people out. And secondly, when uh, can we expect the return of farazjaka.com? Yeah, so I've actually just turned my my current like homepage to my group coaching page, which is okay. livespot.co slash Jaka. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, before when I was I, I my website was just kind of like more of a landing page for people. It's like if someone doesn't know who I am and wants to learn a little bit about me. Right now, I was always like, okay, I'll I'll do something with that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of holding on to that, and 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 still kind of the same case where. Um, if I want to have a place where I kind of take everything I'm doing and combine it into one place, that's where I'll do it. Right. right. Um, so right now kind of where I'm at is I'm full blown doing the group coaching mm-hmm. and then like the YouTube stuff um, I'm kind of stopped doing like, yeah, you might see like, you might see like a YouTube video I do like once every couple of months, but um, to do a really good job at YouTube, you need to be doing videos every single week. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of realized like, I'm not gonna be able to do group coaching, play poker, you know, be a dad, Right. And put out weekly YouTube videos. So, um, you know, once I have more time to kind of do more things, I'll probably get frostjaka.com going. And uh-huh. that will be kind of a, a home base for all those different things to live okay, and link cool. to. Um, but for now, kind of my main effort is in the um, livespot.co.jaka, group coaching. I'm really putting my heart and soul into that. And um, yeah, basically doing weekly sessions um, with students. Um, you know, teaching them different topics, you know, reviewing their hand histories. It's 99 bucks a month. Um, so it comes out to like $25 a session. And um, yeah, I mean, I've, a lot of students have been getting a lot out of it. And um, I've been hearing amazing feedback. I survey users after every 
um, lesson. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's been pretty awesome to see people progress their game and to be a part of it. Good stuff. Cool. Uh, but we uh, will get into the group coaching as promised. I do want to first, sure. um, I want to ask you about your career a little bit, yeah. your evolution as a player. Uh, if you can, maybe just throw out one travel hack. Oh, oh travel hack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, let me think. Besides, um, well, we, you already gave us a good one as far as like the two uh, the two carry-ons instead of the one check the uh, one check. Yeah, piece. that's a pretty good yeah. one. Yeah, well, well, yeah. So, so uh, I mean, this isn't much of a hack, but um, I really think about everything I'm bringing, and I wanted to have like versatile uses. Um, so, for example, like the pants that I travel with, like, um, so like I'm, I, I'm definitely cost conscious but i am also aware of like where to spend money um and for example um with my pants you know i'll I'll buy an expensive pair of pants from hugo boss i always get them from there just because they have like the perfect ones for me and they they look really nice so i can wear them with a dress-up shirt and you know if i want to go out and party i can wear them if i want to go to a nice dinner i can wear them but they're also comfy and stretchy so i could wear them at the poker table i can wear them on the airplane i could sit and grind in them in a sunday session um so like rather than bringing like three or four pants that do different things buy one pair of more expensive pants that mm-hmm. ends up being the same cost and accomplishes everything and takes less space in your luggage. Brilliant. So that's a big optimization for me. Um, same thing with like, I do a lot of V-necks um, mm-hmm. because V-necks I could wear with the sports coat and make it look really nice. Mm. Or I could kind of just be kind of laid back and wear this and I could even work out with this or I could go walk around the city with it. Right. So right. I'm very thoughtful about everything I'm bringing. Um, yeah, I, I try to think of um, bringing anything in my luggage as real estate. Like, do I really right. want to use up this real estate um, on this item? Is it worth it? Makes um, sense. Cool. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, good. Those are a couple of good ones. We can we can stick with those. Yeah. There's definitely, yeah, I'll try to, I, I'm blanking right now. But, it's totally fine. Well, those yeah. are some good ones already. It's tough to, well, it's like anything, when you're bombarded by so much information, you don't want to forget. So it's a little tough. So those are a few good pieces and uh, I like yeah. that. That's very good yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm also not in traveling mode right now. This, right. Is like the least, <laughs> this is like the least traveling I've done. So I'm, I'm probably a little rusty. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, um, you know, this is a question you've probably been asked many, many times. You have progressed to the life title of daddy, but long before that you were the toilet. So let's hear straight from you and see if uh, Wikipedia proves true or not, uh, how that nickname was born. Uh, um, yeah, so basically I started playing poker um, in college. Um, I didn't really have anyone to teach me strategy other than the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. So I just got drawn to suited cards. I was like, oh, I could hit a flush. Like, you know, these are, probably good cards to play. So I'd just play every suited hand. I would get a lot of flushes and my roommates would get really annoyed and be like, damn it, you freaking toilet, this toilet flushes again. Uh, so they started calling me the toilet. Okay. And then I went so to make an strange. online account, a row uh-huh. poker. And I didn't, I didn't have any plans to play professionally or seriously. So I didn't really think much of it. I was like, oh, they call me the toilet. You know, I put the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, the toilet's playing like, you know, high stakes cash games, 2550. Yep. And now I'm playing live and, you know, they're loving the tagline, like the toilet flushes away the competition or it's the toilet one. gets flushed. And it just, it just stuck. It is um, true. Okay. So Wikipedia does prove true in this, in this yeah. instance. I like it. Um, how about that playing style? How did you initially develop and beyond just, you know, learning the, you know, the ropes, the game, but like, you, when you first started out, you did have a particular style. How did that initially form or develop? Just 
just purely natural instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I basically just, um, yeah, I mean, I started playing these shorthanded games and heads up games on Royal Vegas poker. It was on the Prima network mm. and, wow. um, Going way back, yeah, right? yeah, my style was just like pe pedal to the metal, mm -hmm. pull people in uncomfortable spots, do crazy stuff. They don't expect you to do, um, like, you know, when you play like street fighter, there's like, you do this thing where you're like, you kick, you kick, you kick, you punch. Right. You kick, you, sure, kick, sure, sure. you kick, you punch. And then they're like, all right, he's not going to keep doing the same thing as to do something different. Right. We just like keep doing the same thing. And like, you're just like leveling or like, or like you switch it up on them. You know what I mean? You just like, that was kind of my style of playing like heads up poker. Just like, he's not going to three bet me again. Light, like, <laughs> or like, you know, I'll show the, the bluff. It's like, he's not going to show another bluff and you do it like three times in a row. Right. And it was just like, I just love leveling people. I love making people uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I'm really good at um, reading people. I'm really good at kind of predicting how people are going to um, respond. Sorry, is, is that, can you hear the baby in the background? Yeah, it's very cute. It's good. It's is, good is it, do, you to, do you want me to pause for a bit? No, or it's fine. fine. I get you from, okay. Unless you're, you know, you'd like no, to. No, no, no. I just want to make sure it's, it's fine for you guys. All good. It's a family um, friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really good at uh, predicting how people are going to react to certain things. Mm -hmm. So, I can kind of predict like, okay, when this guy loses a big hand, um, he's going to, you know, maybe go into a shell or he's going to, you know, get really active and try to make it back. Or, you know, this person, um, you know, when they're running hot, they're going to adjust their game like this. Or if I show them a bluff, they're going to react like that. And that's, that's kind of what I'm good at. So that was part of um, that style to, to kind of do that. Um, and, and has this evolved over them? Because you clearly are still good at that. Has that evolved in any particular way over the years? Because obviously the competition's gotten tough. Yeah. So, so basically, um, the thing is, if if people are good at GTO, that they know the game theory optimal way to play, then they can kind of not um, fall victim to those things because they can just understand that, all right, this guy's three betting me a lot. Like these are the hands I need to shove back with. And if he's widening his three bet range, I just widen my four bet shove range sure. by adding in these hands, right? Like you could come up with a really calculated defense against that style. Mm -hmm. And now that a lot of the information's out there, like you just can't run people over as much. Right. Um, but that said, you know, the game's not perfectly solved. And uh, there's lots of times people are playing against you with a small sample size where you could be totally un unbalanced and, um, you know, they're not going to know that you're unbalanced. Um, so you can still do that stuff, but not, not nearly as much as you can't just purely rely on that. You still mm -hmm. got to know the game and study and uh, understand the concepts. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, your, your first online result that it way back in you know, 15 years, so 2006, your live result starts in 2007. And I'm kind of wondering about those early days, because what I'm seeing is, you know, where, where were the micro stakes? You just jump into the deep end yeah. firing hundred dollar two hundred dollar yeah. like how did you you know this um, did you really just do that or was there micro stakes that we don't know about no it's just i mean my my first Dang. online experience was just like <laughs> well i signed up for poker because uh, i saw an ad at my college on a, like a billboard just like a little piece of paper that was like oh um, you know, free roll, win your college tuition for next year from rural Vegas. So I signed up for this free roll. I ended up missing it. Like I was out the night before I forgot about it. So I was just like, ah, oh, whatever. And it just deposited like, I don't know, 
2,500 bucks, something. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, and then was like really quickly was like, oh, like, you know, there's these like games with like people sitting with like $10,000, like yeah. uh, 50, 100. And I think 2550 and I could just buy in for like 500 bucks. So like, as soon as I ran up my thing to like 600 bucks, I would just jump into it 500 bucks and then like try to double my money. And, you know, that was like a ton of money for me at that time. Sure. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of a little bit of degeneracy. Um, like, Some yeah, interesting it, it, uh, bankroll management there. Yeah. Oh, I had no zero concept <laughs> of bankroll management. I would just, I, I was, I was talented. I was good at tricking people. Mm-hmm. Um, but my fundamentals were very bad. Um, mm-hmm. So because I was kind of good naturally and had this like unique style, um, I, w- I would be able to kind of trick people early on and really own them. But mm-hmm. as they can see my fundamental errors, the more they get to play with me, they can probably like, you know, play learn back. how to adjust sure. um, the good players. But some people would just get frustrated by my style mm-hmm. and I, it would eat them up, you know? Right. Um, so I, I pretty much, um, so yeah, I'm playing live poker in college, uh, playing like, you know, started with $10 cash games, quickly was looking for bigger games, couldn't find a bigger game. So started our own game, you know, one, two, no limit. Yeah. Um, start, you know, got a nine bedroom house called the poker house. We had like a few of us playing pretty seriously professionally there. You know, Andy Seth was in that house. Mm. Um, Kevin Schultz, who's a PCA winner, was a frequent, you know, guest there. Ty Ryman was one of my students, Robbie Ravagon, uh, Ben Lafew. Um, and then these people started teaching some other people that you guys even know about Harrison Gimbel and stuff. So mm. we had this whole community that we started that was the kind of live poker. And then, yeah, online, I was just like, I just quickly started jumping into 10, 20, no limit, 25, 50. Um, I think at one point, like I built up like a five to 10 K bankroll and I started playing 25, 50 regularly. And within a week ran up to 170 K. Yeah. Um, so now I'm like the sophomore in college. 170k bankroll like you know the hero of the dorm everyone's yeah. talking about it um, the newspaper did an article about me um but obviously playing as big as i was um you know without the bankroll management and without fundamentals um i lost it all like yeah. over the course of like a six-month period even even got myself in 2030k debt um mm. that was a really really tough period um i was super depressed um i had to drop out of school for um at least yeah about a semester um, and to really get my mind right, you know, I kept trying to redo the same thing. I was like, I built it up so quick. So I kept trying to do the same thing. And mm. that was what was kind of making that hole go further and further, further down to like that 30 sure. page debt. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a tough period and mm. it probably took me a good nine, nine, 10 months to kind of get out of. And, um, yeah, it was really hard to go from playing, you know, $10,000 buy-ins to $5 sit and goes. Wow. Right, that was really hard to kind of get yourself to do that. Yeah. Um, finally, I was able to kind of do that and started learning more about bankroll management, started learning about strategy for the first time, like about, you know, M and push shove fold ranges. Mm-hmm. And so like tournaments, I started like learning like properly, like to some extent, still not like hardcore, but like learning some things about it. Um, so I grinded $5 sit and goes, worked my way up all the way to like um, I think I was paying $50 sit and goes, just slowly grind that up over a few months. Started playing um, satellite to get into the nightly, I think it was a 163 that party poker used to have, mm-hmm. um, like a nightly main event kind of every night. And um, so I, I satellited into that regularly. I also want a satellite to go to Aruba 
Nice. Um, so I go to Aruba, I bust out of the main event. I'm grinding Sundays online. Um, just me and the security guard, I'm grinding like outdoors. It's night. I'm getting bitten by bugs. You know, I'm deep in this party poker and I qualified into and I ship it. It was like 20, 30 K. So that was my first big tournament win. Amazing. Um, and so, um, just, just yeah. sort of like stop you there though. Like, like you said, that's a gigantic transition to make from these 10 Ks down to the $5 sit and goes. It seems like it was a, a sort of a gradual process where you kind of like, for lack of a better expression, you dig yourself out of the hole. Was there sort of like an aha moment that you had or, or like, what is it that, I don't know, what, what is it that, you know, makes you say, oh, not to say, well, I give up, you know, when you're, when you, when it hadn't been yeah. working, there's plenty of yeah, people that yeah, sort of walked not, away there. That's definitely a good question. Um, so I was, um, so I, I kept just trying to play one, two, no limit. And then like, I would win like a few binds and jump into two, four and just kept trying to run it up. Mm -hmm. And like, I was doing that for like a few months. Um, and it was not working out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I was just, I was just purely hitting like rock bottom mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I was just getting into like a really bad, dangerous place mentally. And I went to, um, I finally went and saw a counselor, which was wow. like, be best thing to do ever like i'm a huge huge fan of like counseling and therapy and that kind of thing right. um i i think even if you're healthy and you have no mental issues like it's just a it's like a professional friend who like knows how to optimize for that um so i'm a huge proponent for that um but yeah i just i kind of um i was hitting rock bottom and i realized that i was gonna like probably have to drop out of school and oh. i was a little bit scared shitless of my parents um anyone who was like um, brown or Asian parents know like very strict when it comes to like school and that kind of thing. Um, so, um, yeah, I just realized like I was, hit, I was going to, I was hitting rock bottom mm. and, um, so it came from within you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think just like I had a few incidences where I just kind of like realized that like, you know, like, like, you know, I I'm, I'm heading in a downward spiral and it's going to end very poorly. And like, I gotta, I gotta kind of make, you know, a change. Wow. And, uh, you know, what, what, one of the things my, my therapist, um, well, th there's a couple, couple of really good pieces of advice they gave me. It, it was a school counselor. Um, so one thing they told me was, you know, cause I went in there and explained like all the things that were bothering me. Mm -hmm. And obviously the biggest thing was the poker and being in yeah. debt. Yeah, it was also sure. like, Oh, I, I sacrificed my, my school. Right. Because this was the right. year I was going to like try harder in school. And now that's going to shits. Um, you know, I'm scared or, um, yes, that's, you know, there's some relationship stuff, some other personal stuff, my mm -hmm. health. So they're like, all right, think of your problems as a rug. Like you cannot lift a rug, like all at once. Like you need to lift like one corner at a time and then mm. everything becomes easier. Um, they're like, think about your problems like that right now. You're overwhelmed because you're thinking about all these things, just pick one, focus on that and then move on to the next. And it'll become a lot easier. And mm -hmm. it's so simple, but it's so true. Um, you know, you do feel like you're in a hole that it's impossible to get out of. But once you solve that one thing, um, cause not only does that go away, there's less, but it also gives you confidence. Um, and that was a big thing that I could see that, Oh, like I, I, I accomplished something. Like I can actually do things like I'm a productive individual, yeah. um, that can knock shit out. So there's that, um, another good piece of advice they gave it. They were like, do things that you used to do when you were younger that make you feel confident. So I used to play basketball pretty hardcore, um, like, you know, every day, you know, 4 p.m. when the sun's about to go down, like a few hours before, you know, playing pickup ball. 
Um, I ran track pretty competitively. I used to, you know, write rap lyrics and, um, you know, I felt like I, I was good at, at those few things. So, um, you know, I, I went and took some of those things back up again. Um, cause yeah, when you're on the basketball court, owning people, like you feel really confident, yep. like it just, right. And that carries over into, back a little bit. Yeah. yeah it just, it, it carries over to other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and, and they told me definitely to stop playing poker, um, which I did not do. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that's a tough one because obviously like I get it. Cause I'm like, from their perspective, they're going to see this as like, this is just a generic gambler. Right. right. And this is the, where you get to why don't I give up? But like, I just like, I just, I just felt it that I had it in me. Like I, I knew I was owning these people that I was outplaying these people mm-hmm. and that I had something special. And I just believed in myself that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really had this thing, you know, um, I, I guess I, I, I don't know how to give that advice to people and because I, I met people that are the other way that are that are really bad and don't realize they're bad um and just think they're unlucky so <laughs> I, I don't know if that was just you know dumb blind luck or not but okay. yeah I, I just felt like I had it in me um, I love and it. I, I didn't want to give up on it um you said it was a good question. I don't know if it was a good question, but it was certainly a really, really good and insightful answer. I would call it, if we could take like a, a quote or something like that, it was, you know, some some really, really, really good truth and, and knowledge that you shared with everyone there. Thank you uh, for us. I did promise you we'd get into uh, the, the business side of Faraz Jaka um, before specifically the, the group coaching, you know, you got a, a bachelor's degree in economics and in business you know, how did you sort of develop and harness those interests over time before you started uh, the coaching? You had a couple other ventures. Yeah. So, well, I really didn't get to experience. Um, well, so I, I, I gained a passion for business in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a really cool um, business magnet program where um, we basically ran a t-shirt screening business. Like, you know, even screening t-shirts like this is the okay. logos on the back where, you know, we did it all ourselves. Um, we ran the business ourselves. Teacher guided us. So I was, you know, I became the head of marketing there uh, for you know the high school, you know, class. And um, you know, I, I just I just developed a passion for business. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, so you know, I went to college with that in my mind. I joined a business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi, which is a really cool experience. I'm a huge proponent of doing business fraternities or kind of like mixed social frats, but also professional frat. Um, and um, yeah, I basically would connect with other people who wanted to be entrepreneurs at school and had all these ideas of things I wanted to do and pursue and was like already starting to dabbling ideas. And then poker came out of nowhere. Um, wow. So poker, you know, was just like, yeah, just like an obvious direction for me. So I never really got to pursue that kind of business interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, w- I was kind of like, while being successful at poker, I sort of like passively in, in doing some angel investing in some startups. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you don't have startup experience, you're not going to be a very good investor. Um, the same as like yeah. someone who doesn't play poker is not going to be a great investor in for poker sure, players. For sure. Um, unless you just happen to be friends with like the right person and they can tell you like, yeah, I'm putting my money in this, like just put money with me. Like that's mm-hmm. maybe the one exception. Yeah. Um, so, um so yeah, I really wanted to dabble in startups and was kind of like taking on some like, you know, some roles like as like a passive investor, but doing some help and then trying to play poker. And I started realizing I was doing kind of a crappy job at both because mm. um, I wasn't really focused on one or the other. Right. Um, 
So, um, so yeah, I was just looking for an opportunity to basically, um, you know, go, you know, full blown into something mm-hmm. and, um, but you can't force those opportunity. It just, of it course. just, something has to pop up that, that makes sense. Right. So went back to playing poker full time and eventually I got approached, um, to start, you know, a poker business actually with, with people that are completely not in the poker industry, like Silicon Valley startup guys, mm. um, they want to do a learning, you know, a, a learning, a website, you know, using like much more like modern tech, mm-hmm. like modern quizzes and then create an affiliate business and send the traffic to, um, you know, websites. Sure. So we started working on that for a couple months, you know, quickly pivoted into like staking. Okay. Let's, let's stake players and create like a hedge fund out of it. So we started going in there and, and then, um, we were like, you know, we'll do this like Tinder thing where we could like do swaps. People can like swap with people and like, that'd be really cool. Uh-huh. And then we're like, we'll get all these users and may- maybe like a few years down the road, we could even launch a poker site, Okay, we'll have, you know? And then the more we started learning about what we need to do to launch a poker site, we realized that, you know, we can do all these things now. We don't need to wait. Right. So, um, we actually, that's exactly what we did. We went and we actually launched a poker site, um, which is a big deal. And From most stretch. people haven't heard about it. Yeah, most people haven't heard about it because we we purposely kept out of the English speaking media. Mm-hmm. Um, we had launched in Brazil, so we made a big splash in Brazil. Everybody in Brazil knew about us. Uh, did a ton of PR there. You know, we had you know thirty thousand accounts registered. Um, yeah, we we built the software completely from scratch. Um, we had a you know full like team of like six to eight developers. Um, you know, I did. I wore a bunch of different. I was a co-founder. I wore a bunch of different hats. I did everything from spec writing for the software to, um, you know, email marketing to Facebook ads, um, the whole deal, really just learning how to learning how to think like a co-founder, take on a different roles, you know, manage a small marketing team. I'd never done any of these things before. I was always business minded, but didn't have experience. Mm -hmm. Um, my co-founders were already had already, this was like their third startup. So, you know, I learned a lot from them. And, um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I, I definitely like 10 X my knowledge, um, doing that stuff. Um, and we did a lot of things very right. I mean, to, you know, we got, we got a gaming license, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we went through the process to do that. You know, we, we got to launch, which is very, very hard. Yeah. We got a liquidity where we were running games daily for a year and a half straight. It's really uh, tough. 12, 14 hours a year. Those are all really tough things. Um, so, and, and, um, at the end of the day, the reason why we failed was some early on software decisions, because basically as a startup, you're trying to do things as like hacky and quickly and as cheap as possible. Um, the mistake a lot of companies do is like the old thing where you try to build this perfect product. That's going to be extremely expensive and get really slow. And you don't even know if users are going to like it or not. So the thing you want to do is, you know, do an MVP, you know, a minimally viable product where, you're just like getting something that kind of works out there, but you're able to prove that there's traction and people like your product. And then you go raise more money from VCs and then there you clean you it all up. So that's kind of what we were doing. And like I said, you know, we did a lot of things right. You know, user acquisition was even great. Um, but some of the software decisions, um, you know, every week, week out, we had these decisions of like, do we need this feature? Like we know it's nice. We know we want it, but can we put it off and do it later? Because this is three months of development work. It's going to cost, you know, 15 grand. Um, do we really need it or can we skip it? And 
me early on, I, I would have made the, if I was doing this by myself, I would have made the mistake of doing things way too perfect, moving way too slow, running out of money. My co-founder was really big on aggressive, move quick, skip steps. And, um, but they were a little too far in that direction. Mm-hmm. And we just skipped like a few too many steps where now we got to a point where um, we had some technical debt where um, we weren't able to grow unless we fixed some of these things we skipped early on, mm. but we'd already kind of made a direction with our software's architecture. This is getting a little bit in the weeds now, yeah. um, but like th- th- there's some things with software development where like once you make a decision to go a certain path, you're kind of stuck down that path and to, to make a change, it's, it's very expensive because you got to re-architect it in a, a certain environment. And that's kind of some of the problems. Like a lot of people complain about a lot of the poker softwares that are out there today. And they don't realize that they cannot make some of these changes you want them to make because hmm. of decisions they made 10 years ago, wow. or maybe even technology that wasn't available to them 10 years ago that are now available. So you cannot compare them to what new age companies can do. Um, so yeah, we, we just, um, yeah, it's crazy. You could do so many things right and do a couple things wrong that just, that just basically kill you. Um, I gotta say, I asked. I had like three or four additional questions prepared, but you've answered them all. That's a very mm-hmm. detailed, very, very insightful look at what it takes on the back end. Because you know, as players, you say, "Oh, why can't you just you know do this, or why can't you just do that?" And well, I want to I want to elaborate on that because sure. people, like for me, it's very frustrating because I'm I'm there's very few poker players that have gone through the experience that I have of building a poker site and. Majority of people do not understand this. Everybody who's on the inside working at poker sites understand this and just shake our heads that, you know, just like they don't get it. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and here's what it is like. So, for example, we had a Curacao license. Like when you have a license with them, you have to use their servers and their mm-hmm. servers are very old, very outdated. The reason you need to use their servers are because this is how their country generates profit. Um, you cannot go use the best servers out there. You cannot go use AWS you know, Amazon, which is the best one, which I think they won't even allow it because it's, because it's gambling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, same with payment processing and you end up with like all these limited pieces of infrastructure that you're Mm -hmm. able to use for different reasons. So that you're, so like, there's only, you're only left with a couple options and, um, and and yeah, sometimes it's very limited of of what you can do with these things. Um, For example, in Nevada, you know, we looked into getting a gaming license there and, you know, we heard some horror stories from some of the people in that market that, you know, it, you know, to, I don't know if this still is the same now, I assume it's similar, but a lot of these laws were kind of made for live poker and live gaming. Right. Um, and they just got tagged onto the online world. So like, if you want to make a change, like certain changes to the software, you have to prove that it didn't affect the fairness uh, in gaming. And you got to show up the next day to do that because it sets off a code red in their system. Right. Right. Um, that's very expensive to do as a, as a tech company, you want to make software updates regularly, fast, aggressively yeah. experiment. And if you got to go do that every time, you're just going to be like, no, it's too expensive. We can't do that. Right. Right. Um, wow. So that's why they don't update their software and make changes and it's expensive. And when you do make those changes, um, there's, there's a risk of regression, meaning something else in your code might break and the software crashes. So like, you know, ACR, for example, crashes a lot. The reason is because they do a lot of updates. Uh-huh. Um, so you, as a poker site, you get in this world of like, either we don't update our software and we don't advance with modern times, or we update our software aggressively and we crash a lot, but we get a better software. <laughs> right, right. Huh. So the, Fascinating. Yeah. 
Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Uh, well, we do have a, an extensive uh, list of questions from our forum members, but I want to go through a little bit the coaching stuff. Before you talk about the group coaching, you didn't used to talk about coaching or do any sort of coaching at all. It was pretty rare for be, you to discuss strategy. Yeah, I used to be very, I used to be very private about kind of right. my strategy and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So, so what changed? You know, I was like, oh, it's time to share with the masses. What, what happened then? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd been so, like I said, as I was kind of getting ready to, you know, have kids, I was like, all right, how am I going to create a lifestyle where I don't need to be on tour? Okay. Um, how am I going to create a lifestyle where I don't have crazy MTT swings where I can have a rough idea of how much money I'm going to make each year so I can understand what type of lifestyle I could afford? Right. And, you know, when you're having a family, you start to kind of model things out and you're like, you need a little bit of predictability. Yes. Um, yes. So, so I wanted to do some sort of online business and um, COVID started and yeah, so I was, ex I was looking into other non-poke related business, you know, talking to different people, was ready to dabble in some experiments. While I was doing that, COVID started. So I was like, all right, um, let me do some like online coaching just to start getting some kind of revenue going. Um, so I started doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, the response for that was was really good, um, probably better than I expected. Uh, my calendar filled up very quickly. Um, I was able to kind of create like optimizations to kind of do things quicker and sure, optimize sure. kind of the back end of payment, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Using a lot of the tricks and things I learned from um, my poker side experience, right? Because nice. like I said, we, we gained 30,000 users. I was pretty much responsible for probably 25,000 of those users. Yeah. And I did a lot of creative little hacks or, you know, little campaigns to get those users. So I just kind of used some of those strategies, even sales things to get my one-on-one -on -one clients. Nice. Um, and, um, and, you know, create a good feedback loop to making sure I'm offering them really high value and that they're happy and then I'm measuring that score. Um, so, um, yeah, my calendar filled up. And now I'm just like, all right, how can I scale this? Because right. you cannot scale one-on-one -on -one coaching. Like there's only so much you, right? Right. So, <laughs> of course. And I was getting a lot of inquiries from people that were looking for cheaper options. Mm -hmm. um, so it just made sense to start trying to do group coaching. And that's basically what I'm trying to do now. You know, my goal is just how many, you know, just coach as many students as I can as possible and make, you know, making sure they're progressing and making sure they're learning. And as I get too many students, that becomes challenging. And I need to come up with creative solutions of how to solve that to make sure they're still learning. And then I also need to make sure I'm measuring that, you know, surveying them, talking to them and have some sort of score to realize that they're not just paying, you know, for no reason that they're actually getting, you know, they're paying $100 a month. I want to be, I want to make sure by the end of the year, they're getting, you know, more than $1,200 in value of easily course. out of, of that. Um, so that's just how I think about it and how I measure it and, you know, just really use, use the things I learned to kind of, you know, attack that. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, well, on a one-on-one on one level, you did have, or you have had, I don't know if you still do, uh, one quite notable student, uh, a certain Mr. Chris Moneymaker. Yeah. He, uh, was, uh, he was our guest here on the Cards Chat Podcast, nice. episode 15. Uh, go yeah. ahead and check that out after this episode, guys. Uh, if you haven't already, um, what's it like working uh, with the, the 2003 main event champ? Yeah, no, that, that was awesome to all to work with him. You know, he's, he's very quick and very intuitive. I haven't worked with him much as recent. He's super busy now. He's taking a role on with ACR. So sure. he's doing a lot of Twitch streaming nonstop. And like I said, that lifestyle is very, very busy. Um, so yeah, he, he's got his hands full. He's doing an awesome job. He's such a, such a good ambassador. Um, you know, he's super likable. He's super good for the game. So 
super happy to see him out there kind of promoting and doing his thing again. Cool. Um, yeah, and I have some other notable, um, well-known students as well that kind of more private about it. Okay. Um, so I can't say who they are, but, no problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, the majority of my students are probably like, um, a lot of like recreationals that are maybe like have a business or a full-time job, but they're kind of retiring or don't need to work as much. And hmm. they're really competitive and, you know, they're like, well, like, you know, I just need to make like 60, 80 K a year. I don't need to be the best, but right. this is kind of a hobby, but yeah, I want to make money and I'm competitive. So that's a lot of my students. And I have a lot of mid-stake pros that are playing like, you know, 20, 30, $50 buy-ins and they want to move up to those two fifteens online, those 5k, sure. 10k buy-in. So kind of a mix of both of those, like mid-stakes pro students and kind of, um, or, or also a third group is people that have been around for 10 years mm -hmm. playing professionally, but they've never really studied. They don't really know GTO well. Mm -hmm. They don't do pile sovereign. They're like, all right, I'm starting to realize I need to do those things, but I've never done those things. Cause I'm really good at taking these like complicated things. A lot of like savant players explain that are really hard to explain and like put simplify them and explain them. Um, you know, I, I've done, I've gotten coaching myself from like really smart players that I find they're great players, but they're so hard to follow just mm. because they, their brain thinks in, in their, their own way. That's hard to relate to. And I really try to just like simplify those things, like really easy, digestible ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, an interesting one for you. Um, you know, you're, you're talking, you're talking about the coaching and obviously, you know, you, you've explained, you do it as you know, a way to sort of have a little bit more predictable, stable income, that sort of a thing. Your social media full of retweets from your students and, uh, you know, who've, who've achieved success. It must feel good. You know, all of a sudden you're going I, ahead. I and, genuinely, I genuinely love like watching people like hit their dreams in poker. Like it's super fun. Um, like working with someone who, you know, you start, you try to ask them to explain their thinking and mm. they have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Work with them, you work with them, you see the progress, you go through that journey with them and eventually they get that score. And like, that's so fun. Um, that's so rewarding. It's it's super awesome. Um, you know, I, I started to realize like, that's what the majority of poker players are. Like mm. they're, you know, these recreationals that are like feeling a competitive outlet or people that are kind of retiring and now kind of doing this as like a side thing. Like that's really the majority of the players. Um, so it's also cool to kind of help um, kind of progress that because the way I see it is you have all the pros um, having access to all these tools and getting better and better and better and like right. widening the skill gap. So someone's got to help out, you know, these other guys, um, you know, to keep them, you know, on pace with the pros that have access to all those tools. So I really even see it as a service to the poker industry, right? Because for the poker industry to um, remain sustainable, we need that skill gap to stay kind of um, fluid, right? You cannot have that gap grow. Right. Um, so I also see it as kind of fulfilling that, which feels really good. Um, so yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I, I always say like, if you don't genuinely enjoy what you're doing, mm. like you're not going to do a good job at it. Right. You know, um, I've talked to some people who coach and they don't enjoy it, but they're just doing it for the money. It's like, I mean, I get it, right? Like if you need to make money, you got to make money, but you should find something you really love because you'll make more at that. Like that's just how it works. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Well, great answer. Uh, before we turn to our community uh, who submitted a bunch of great questions, we have one more question for you. It's something we love to ask all of our interviewees here. I mean, I've been speaking with you here for a while. You're a really nice, friendly guy. People enjoy uh, you know, hearing from you, speaking with you. Um, who is the friendliest poker player you've ever had the pleasure of playing with at the felt? 
friendliest poker player. I don't know. That's such a, such a played with so many different people and there's a lot of friendly people. So it's hard to just single out. I mean, in terms of someone like, let's see, who is super friendly. Um, like, like, what do you mean? Like just someone who's like talkative and player, like I personally bonded with or like, you know, or that you just like you, you finish the session, like, Oh man, that was just a lot of fun because so-and-so yeah. was there. Honestly, I, I have that experience with like a lot of random people, like not, not anyone well-known and okay. not even someone that I, necessarily remember their name or like you know I, I connect with people at the poker table like regularly mm. and um and i bond with them and sometimes we exchange numbers or sometimes we don't but we'll run into each other in the future and become friends That's um cool. so yeah I, I can't think of like yeah like probably the the people that come to mind when you say that they're, they're not like any names that you would have heard of you know it's just like kind of random people I love that. You know, this yeah. is episode number 48. And we've never gotten the answer before. That's okay. That says a lot about you. That's really, really wonderful. I like that a lot. Great answer. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. This segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And we have three of our regulars here who sent in a few questions for you for us. Uh, we'll start with a little bit more of the uh, abstract ones from uh, our good friend Acid Burn FX. Um, which one of your responsibilities do you wish you could get rid of? Which one of my responsibilities? Oh man, um, <laughs> huh? Um, they get more poker focused as we as we go along. <laughs> which one of my responsibilities, just like in in, in life, like in general? That is correct. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking to, I'm outsourcing a lot of things right now or looking to outsource. Uh -huh. So, you know, I recently hired a personal assistant mm -hmm. that's just taking care of some, you know, little like everyday kind of errands. Um, so I'm already kind of doing that. Like, you know, little things like going and calling the insurance company or setting up a doctor's appointment or calling an airline and, you know, those type of things. Mm -hmm. Um I know them too yeah. well, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they even help emailing some of my students going back and forth when they need to send me poker oh, nice. or hand history, making sure they're doing that. Excellent. Um, I'm looking um, for, um, you know, people to help with some of the email marketing and stuff I'm doing to kind of reach out to students. Um, I'm doing that myself right now. I'm looking to outsource some of that. Um, some solver work. Um, I've started outsourcing some of it. I'm still looking for more help with that. Um, some of it is just from volunteers where, you know, running a lot of solves, doing a lot of reports, takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, having, you know, basically I, every session I play, I have a session, I have a bunch of hands that I have questions on mm -hmm. and I go and run them by myself. Oh, okay. So like, so like I'm looking for help with just like being able to like send that to someone and they go and solve them and send me screenshots. Hmm. Um, and I've had a little bit of help with that, but still and still looking for even more help so it can kind of like have a team kind of doing it. And in return, obviously they'd learn from a top strategy with them and stuff like that. Sure. So, you know, if anyone's good with solvers or even three-way stuff and is interested in doing that, feel free to reach out to me. I like that. Um, yeah, just that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I'm always just looking for ways to outsource stuff to kind of buy myself time or, or, or so I could focus more on playing and studying or creating content. Yeah. Awesome. The stuff, the stuff that I can outsource, the stuff that other people can't do. Of course. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good approach. I like that. Uh, next question from Acid Burn FX. Whom do you secretly envy and why? Secretly envy. Um, I secretly envy. Um, 
I mean, I don't really think like that, to be honest. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, um, I don't want to be anyone other than myself. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess, yeah, I, I just, I can't think of like, oh, I wish I was that person. Right. Like, you know, I, I love who I am and I, you know, any things I didn't, any things that didn't go well in life, like make me who I am today. So I don't regret any of those moments either. Um, so yeah, just really trying to be the best version of myself. And, uh, you know, I, I see, I see people out there that, you know, have, you know, really high quality life and different aspects of their life and they're able to do certain things. And yeah, you know, there's probably little aspects of many different people's life that I'm like, oh yeah, I want to kind of reach to have that lifestyle, reach to have that lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I, no one in particular, I just, I don't think like that. Yeah. We, we accept that answer. That's for sure. Final <laughs> question, final question from Acid Burn FX. How would you spend your ideal day? I spend my ideal day. Um, well, it really depends like work day or non-work day. So, um, if you had to plan it, let's put it this way. If you had to plan a day for yourself that you get to do the things that you really want to do, what would that day yeah. look like? Yeah. So I, I guess an ideal day is I have successfully, you know, outsourced a lot of my tasks where, you know, I have my team taking care of, you know, the email, setting up my group coaching events, you know, that type of thing. I can go spend the day, you know, with the family, you know, teaching my kids things, going on a hike, you know, getting some exercise, um, doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just ha having time to exercise you know, being able to go out for a nice dinner with my family and, you know, when I want, spend a week to go, you know, take a vacation, go everywhere and the wheels don't stop. You know, I have right. a team kind of taking care of things. Um, yeah, that, that, that type of thing. I like um, it. Yeah. Cool. Sounds, sounds fun to me. Uh, Shells, thank you very much for submitting these questions for Faraz. Um, out of the multitude of caches and final tables you have made, in the WPT and the WSOP, is there any single tournament that stands out above the rest? Um, for any of my big caches, you're saying? Shells is hmm. saying. So, sorry? Shells is saying. I'm just reading them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, hmm. Which one would that be? Um, I'm, I'm looking at my hand in mob right now. Um, <laughs> How often do you yeah, do that? I mean, probably, I mean, probably the year I won WPT Player of the Year. So, okay, this is actually not a cash. Okay, so probably the most memorable one would be 2009, 2010 year. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in the race yeah. for Player of the Year. I had, um, I found Table Bellagio 15K, got second place for 775K. I found Table the very next one, got third place, 531K. Um, I had a big WSOP score that year too. Um, that didn't count for player of the year points though. For WPT. Right. So I'm, I'm like in the lead, like barely for WPT player of the year. There's one event left, 25K uh, championship event at the Bellagio. And I'm chip leader going down into like the final 30 or something. Mm. I have this crazy hand versus like second in chips. Heather Sue Mercer, where I like five better all in with like nine, three off suit. She has aces. I bad beat her. I have a massive stack. Wow. Um, I basically end up blowing my stack, not blowing it, but like, well, I lost one big pot where I had a set of aces 
um, versus David Williams straight. And I actually misread the board and I didn't realize there's a one card straight there. Um, I was actually tanking with a set of aces because King Queen got there. So I was about to make like a sick epic hero fold against like a two card straight. And I like, I couldn't get myself to do it. So I called and I didn't realize there's a one card straight on there. I don't know what happened. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. Just straight brain fart. And um, I ended up busting out of that tournament like 12th or 13th. And that was so frustrating because the player of the year was in my own hands. Like if wow. I make that final table, I win player of the year. And now there's like two or three people that can pass me. I think one of them mm-hmm. might've been Sean Buchanan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just though. like, I'm so, this is like the most I've ever been like emotional, like after like a tournament, like I'm in lying in the pale and I just, I feel like crap. Oh. Um, and I, I'm just type of person where like, when I make a mistake, like I want to go correct myself and go do a better and go do a better job. And um, the tournament in Monaco was coming up and um, at Monte Carlo and I wasn't planning on going, but I just needed redemption. I'm like in the payout line, like looking up flights and literally like book a flight to go fly like the next day um, to go play the main event over there. I think that was like a 10 K euro buying or something, just needing redemption. I'm on the flight the next day. It's the final table. And there's one player left who could pass me. I think it was Sean Buchanan and I'm sweating the updates. And it's like, I think he needs to bust like third or earlier for me to like win player of the year. And I think like four or five handed or something like that. And, you know, I take off on the flight. This is like a long, like eight hour flight. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and then I land and I think I have like, like eight or nine text messages. And the first one's from my dad. And she's like, congrats, player of the year. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so cool. <laughs> that, that, that was a really cool, memorable. What uh, a great kind of story. Setup. I love yeah. it. Oh, memorable min cash I had in the 25. <laughs> <laughs> Second question from Shells. How would your friends describe you for us? How would my friends describe me? Um, I'd say people would say I'm a very good communicator. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the friend that will go say the thing that your other friends are too scared to say to you. Mm. And um, the way I view that is I'm willing to risk our relationship in telling you what I think you need to hear for your own betterment. Mm. And maybe you'll get pissed off at me for that. But eventually you'll probably realize you need to hear that and you'll thank me later. Um, or, or, or maybe you don't see that, but hopefully you're able to appreciate that. I'm just telling you what I feel and I'm being honest and I'm oh, doing it for your own good. That's a beautiful um, thing. Wow. And I have, I have a lot of my friends who thank me for that. And, um, and yeah, that, that's a big thing for me. Uh, I, I wish more friends would do that to me. And, <laughs> you know, I, I meet a lot of people where I'm like, I'm sitting there with someone and their best friend and their friend clearly has some issue, you know, like whether it's they're dating some gold digger or they have some alcohol problem, or like whatever it is, and their best friend. And I'm just like, you know, like you see that going on, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, it's none of my business. And I hate when I see that because I know it's uncomfortable, but like, that's your friend, man. Like you gotta, that, right. that's, that's what being a friend is to me. Um, so, think, you know, I, I, you I have, one. I think, I think you have like 300,000 people in the cards chat community who want to be your friend now. 
I think that's, <laughs> that's an incredible answer. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I encourage people, whoever's listening to this, go, go do that for your friend. And mm. that's another being uncomfortable and putting yourself in uncomfortable spots. It is uncomfortable when you say that to your friend, but like it, it really straightens your bond with them mm. over, over the course of your friendship. Beautiful. It really does. Yeah. I'd say 300,001. You're looking at one, another one right <laughs> here. Very cool. Um, Crystals was our last uh, forum member who submitted questions for you for us. Thank you again for your time. Um, this one's a little tough. And I guess Crystals is not afraid to ask uh, some tough questions here. Yeah. You have some six-figure caches to your credit, but none of your top 10 caches have been wins. Yeah. What do yeah. you think is part of the reason why you haven't won a big tournament since your 2014 win in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just variance. I mean, when you look at these sample sizes, they're so small. Um, you know, when you look at online tournaments, it's like, all right, you have a few thousand worth of tournaments. Um, that's a large enough sample size where you can actually deduct some reasoning out of that. But, mm. you know, live poker, you literally, if you play a full blown schedule, you only get to play a hundred uh, a year. Um, mm -hmm. sure. So over the course of like five years, like, and I'm not playing a hundred every single year over the course of five years, that might only be like three, 400 tournaments. That's just a really small sample size to sure. really try to, you know, say, say anything about, about the results. Um, I mean, I mean, they should show color, some color, but yeah. Um, in terms of the final tables, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe like the only final table I could really think about was like my PCA final table where I got third. Um, I think, well, so three-handed, I got really unlucky in one spot where like, I think I opened jacks and small blind did like a big, like 50 big blind rejam with a small pair. I called and they hit a set. Right. Um, that really hurt me. But then after that, I think I made like a big ICM blender or mm. like, I like, let's see, like five bet jam, like King Jack off, um, like shorthanded, like three handed, um, where back then I just didn't really have the ICM knowledge. And mm -hmm. like, that's not the hand I would have used to do that with if I was going to go for it. Um, so like, that's maybe one spot where maybe I can say if I, if I didn't make that ICM blunder, I could have had mm. a better chance to win that tournament. Um, I, I think the other things, other ones were just relatively unlucky. I think, you know, I was happy with how I played and that's just how the cards fell. Yeah. Right. That's a fair assessment. Cause then of course we all know we're not supposed to be results oriented necessarily. And obviously you're yeah. highly analytical of your own play and it's very, very, uh, and that's not to say I don't make mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes every single session. Like we all do like, you know, right. but you yeah. review them and you learn from them yeah. clearly, you know, so that's yeah. very important. Our final question of the show for you, Faraz, uh, you talked a lot about your coaching and, you know, what you do for your students, what you offer your students. Uh, what is one expectation that you have of the people you coach? And thanks again, uh, Crystals, for this great question. Yeah, what's one expectation? Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, what's great for me is when people are kind of organized and, um, you know, just, just take on responsibility. Um, you know, so, for example, like I try to tell people to, um, you know, organize things into a, a quick doc, which is similar to like Google Docs, um, to kind of like write their hands down there, to be reviewing, to be tagging their hands and to review them regularly. Um, so, um, and, and yeah, and to communicate with me, like what's working, what's not working and that type of thing. Um, to really think through, you know, sometimes people show up for like a free, you know, 20 minute call with me or something like that. And like, they don't come prepared with questions. Mm. And for me, I'm like, man, if I was meeting someone that I really wanted to pick their brain and get advice from, 
I would have, you know, the exact questions I want to pick their brain on and be organized, be prepared, write them down. I would take notes. Um, so yeah, that's what we did those here. things, you know, like, so like, <laughs> no, so that's what we like, did yeah. for the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 I guess, I guess the expectation that I have of them is to be organized and be prepared. Mm. So, you know, when you're coming to talk with me, like take notes, um, you know, if you can't take notes right away, record the session and take notes after, um, come prepared with questions. Um, and yeah, document kind of like what's working, what's not, and then bring those back to me so that I can kind of help with them. Cause yeah, the, my style is really working with students and that means you need to adapt with different students and different people need different things. Um, and, and last thing, I guess it's just being open with me. Mm -hmm. So obviously like, it feels like, oh, you're paying for coaching. It needs to be strategy, strategy, strategy. But a lot of students have helped has actually just been with mindset. Um, mm -hmm just showing them like breathing exercises and showing them ways to detail to like hearing about where they start to not play their game and try to understand why that's happening and then giving them advice of like, Oh, I used to have that problem. Here's how I solved it. Um, those are also really important as well. Um, or, or, or organizing your day outside off the felt and making sure. sure you have that in check. Right. So just being open and communicating with me on top of being organized and being prepared. Excellent answer. Well, Thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions for Faraz Jack. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread in the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Faraz, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to plug or anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I just want to kind of let people know where like different channels they can reach out to me sure. on. Um, so, uh, if you're like, if you're on Twitter, Instagram, I'm just at Faraz Jaka there, my name, um, super easy to reach. My DMS are open there. Um, if you're looking for a one-on-one -on -one coaching, you could email me at coaching at farazjaka.com. Or if you just have questions about the group coaching and want to understand more how it works and if it's the right fit for you, I'm always super open and honest. If it's not a great fit for you, I'll tell you, um, you know, if, if you're not at the right level for it or something like that, um, and yeah, if you want to check out the group coaching, go to uh, livespot.co slash Jaka. Um, I have, um, if you go to previous content, you can see my old content, upcoming content, the upcoming stuff. And occasionally I'll email some free content out if you sign up for the free option as well. So yeah, 99 bucks a month. And I'm, I'm right now my time is dedicated to helping people. So, you know, jump on it and um, yeah, looking forward to meet as many people as possible. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, the time that you dedicated here has really been wonderful. I've certainly enjoyed myself and I'm sure everyone's enjoyed listening and watching for us. Thank you very, very much. Yep. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.